Hello and welcome to episode number two of season three of Empower Podcast. These are harder. These are getting harder to say. Uh, But I am your host, Michael Abney, and I'm joined today with my co-host. This is Marilyn Egan. And we're joined today by our special guest. Laurel Clark. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. So My pleasure. We are, season three is a little bit different than our other podcasts. We're bringing in somebody we've never met before today. We met about 15 minutes ago right? Yes. And um, we had connected on Facebook. We had did a little video and we were asking guests for our our third season. And we wanted it to be a little bit different because like when we were talking earlier, when we saw the book outside about the Medici. So this is exactly what we're creating is bringing somebody, having a conversation with somebody that has um, something that they want to share, something they're passionate about in life and are, are manifesting that you're an author. Yes. And you were the president of the School of Metaphysics. Yes. And very versed in dreams, correct? Yes. I also was the president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, and I'm still on their board. I love it. Yay. So I'm excited about what you're going to bring to the conversation. And like all of us together, like all of our energies create something brand new that never existed before. Yes. And that's like super exciting to me because I believe that's happening worldwide. Us coming together, the unity consciousness where we like when we collaborate, just something magical happens that couldn't happen without other people participating and connecting. So I thank you so much for being here today to share whatever gift's going to come out today that I'm really excited about. That's great. Thanks for having me. You bet. Yes, and I believe we're all yearning for community right now, too, as well. So it's another reason we want to share what you offer to the world. So why don't you just give us a little bit about your story, how you got started in this work and and how you got interested in dreams. Sure. Um, Dreams is actually one element of a larger uh, dimension that I myself have practiced and teach. In fact, I have a company called Whole Life Resources, which is uh, was an inspired um, name coming from wanting to aid people to be more whole. So I started keeping a dream journal in 1977. I was in college. I was aware of dreams from the time I was a kid. The reason I started writing them down was I was in a creative writing class and a friend of mine in the class wrote poetry that I envied because I thought it was beautiful. It had really nice imagery. And so when I asked her how she came up with that, she said it came from her dreams. So at that time, I didn't remember my dreams and she said, well, start writing them down. I said, how am I supposed to write them down if I don't remember them? (laughs) She said, get it notebook, put it by your bed, and just tell yourself you want to remember your dreams. And she was right. By having the intention to remember dreams, having a journal there, I started to remember first sometimes a whole dream, sometimes it was a fragment. But the more that I wrote them down, the more I started remembering. And then two years later, I discovered the School of Metaphysics. This was in Michigan. I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I started learning how to interpret my dreams. So my journey with dreams has been very much about self-awareness, self-development. In 2008 is when I attended the 
conference of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. So you were talking, Michael, about connection. I had heard about that organization, but I wasn't really looking for something new prior to that. And then in 2008, three completely unrelated people in three different contexts told me that this organization was having their conference in Montreal that year and I should go. I mean, almost exactly the same words. I thought, okay, after the third unrelated person told me this, I should go. And so I did. And that organization is so much fun because it's people from all over the world who are in all different walks of life, who outwardly seem very different. And the one thing they have in common is their interest in dreams. So there are brain scientists that measure what happens in the brain when we sleep. There are psychologists, there are theologians, there are artists, they have a a juried art show and all of the art pieces need to be dream inspired. So the artists submit not only the art piece, they also submit the dream that inspired the art. And so that is amazing and wonderful. And, um, since being a part of that organization, my deeper awareness of how much dreams can connect us that I was aware of before, but I have become much more aware of how that can function, like how telepathy functions in dreams or how you can purposely communicate with somebody in a dream, like that movie Inception that was popular yes. some yeah. years back. Yeah, I think part of why people uh, kind of freaked out about it is some people are aware you can actually project a thought to somebody in their dream that can then affect their life. And so learning how to use that for positive reasons, like to help heal or to um, alert somebody if you have a precognition that there's a a probability that something might be affecting them. Um, When I was... um, I guess it was 2000, I was married to a man who had juvenile diabetes. And there were a couple of times that I had dreams that I'm pretty certain saved his life at the time. And then after he died, I had some very profound visitation dreams where he came to me in the dream state. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And how healing that was for you. Extremely. Yes. At the same time. So tell me, do, have you seen people who heal from their issues while they're both still alive here? Because I have people who ask me all the time, how can I, I can't say these things I want to say to this person. And just when you were talking about that, I'm like, how fabulous if you can just ask in your dream to send this message of how much I really love this person and I care about them and I don't want to fight anymore. Have you seen situations like that heal? I have when at least one person has the courage to talk about it in their waking life. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that makes sense. So part of, I think, one of my desires is for people to recognize that the experiences that we have that are beyond the physical body are real. And I know some people recognize that probably there are listeners who completely believe that and practice it. And then there are other people who doubt maybe they've had experiences, but they're not sure if it was real or they talked about it and somebody talked them out of it. And I think the more that all of us recognize uh, 
those non-physical experiences are real and then are willing to talk about it, that has much more healing potential. I would love to talk about this very thing about what you're talking about, like almost giving permission to, because I don't think people have permission. Right. There, there's a thought or something yes. in their head that says that they don't have permission to, to think that that's real. Yes. That that's just a dream and it's separated and the reality that we all share called Earth School is the only reality that there is. So they don't have access to it. So what you just said was really, I felt that, that it, like, I had that. Like, I've never given myself permission to, I'm intuitive and I see things in the daytime and I can see energy around people, but I don't really translate the dream because I don't remember that I, like I'm in my 50s now and I don't, I don't cognitively remember dreams or know that I have them. Mm -hmm. But in the daytime, I have intuition all of the time. That's almost like feels like a dream sometimes or right. seeing like a little movie in my head. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like I can see where I turned that off in myself that I don't allow myself to because before when we were talking before we came in to do the podcast, I do want to share this dream with you. Is mm -hmm. that okay? Sure. Because it's kind of, it's the context for my entire life. Okay. So when I was a little kid, my grandmother um, was very intuitive, spiritual, and she, and she also uh, of Cherokee Nation. Mm -hmm. And she would always tell me I had a star that I was born with a star above my head. And she would have conversations with me that I knew weren't happening with the other grandkids. That mm -hmm. she would take me in this little room and she would just have these little talks with me. And when I was a kid, I had this recurring dream over and over and over again that I was standing in front of this, like, a, to, as a kid, it looked just like a hole with light, like a light hole, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. just light and a tube sort of. And I was standing there and I was just like shoving as many people as I could into that into that hole. I never, I now think I know a little bit about what that is, but mm -hmm. like that was such a constant present thing that that stuck with me 50 years later. I still remember that. Right. It still impacts my life because now I've interpreted that. I don't know if it's right or not, but I've interpreted that as the shift that we're all going through mm -hmm. and helping as many people as humanly possible wake up. Right. To what's going on. And I, that's what that represents to me. But like when I was sharing that with you, what did you what what would be your feedback from that? I would interpret it very similarly. I, I believe that at the core of each one of us is light, pure potential. And that in different ways, many people, unfortunately, kind of turn a dimmer switch on their light because they're told they're too much, they're too loud, they're too idealistic, they're too crazy. And fortunately, not everybody listens to that and they still listen to that inner urge to express their light. So if I had a dream like that, I would interpret it very similarly as that you are aware of the light and wanting to help bring people to the light, to awareness. Yes, that's perfect. And that's that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. But you're touching on something that I really want to expound upon because if we were somebody was listening to this and was able to allow themselves to give them permission to open up to this other side, open up to the dream state, what that could mean. Would you share just a little bit more about your insights on 
on that subject about do you do you do you deal with people in your daily life when you're talking about dreams like I, that don't remember? Yes, a lot of people don't remember, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Some of it, I think, is people get busy, and if they don't think that there's a purpose for dreaming, why would they spend time doing it? I think that there are people who have had a nightmare that frightened them, and so they purposely slam the door on that because they're afraid of what they're going to remember. I think there are people who have been taught it's not real, it's not a, a dream, so why would they fill their time doing one more thing that's not meaningful? So people can learn how to remember dreams. Just as I was saying, my friend told me to get a notebook and put it by my bed. That really is the best way to begin to remember dreams, as well as using some discipline to refrain from things that can interfere with sleep, like spending at least an hour, preferably more, not on the computer, not on the cell phone, have the room be dark, not have um, a bunch of electronic devices in the sleeping place. Because the more deeply we sleep, then the easier it is to remember dreams. I think in terms of helping people to have permission, I really like stories. And there are so many amazing stories about dreams that have changed people's lives. There's a man who I met through the International Association for the Study of Dreams. His name is Dr. Larry Burke, and he is a radiologist, a holistic radiologist. How he even became interested in dreams is that he had a patient who came to him who had had recurring dreams of cancer, and the radiologist that she was going to didn't find it on the test and said, no, you don't have cancer, but she kept having these dreams, and even though he wasn't uh, knowledgeable about dreams or didn't really pay attention to them, he listened to her and believed that what she was saying was true in her inner experience. So he did some different tests, and his tests showed the cancer that she had been dreaming about. So she was able to get early treatment and to recover from that, where if she had waited for the more traditional tests, the cancer would have had to have gotten bigger and either impossible or certainly more difficult to be treated if she had waited. So that launched... Dr. Larry Burke on a research project to research women who had had breast cancer to see if any of them had had dreams that predicted it or gave some signs of it. And this is interesting. He did a, a TED talk on it because he got some remarkable results. And the people at TED took it down off of the internet because they said it wasn't scientifically based. It was too anecdotal. Um, so that's part of the challenge that I've found in terms of helping people who are skeptical to believe that dreams are real. When we're looking at research, I don't think that you can do physical research to prove something that's an inner experience. You can get people's experiences. For myself, it's my own inner experience that's the proof for me. But to prove to someone else that this experience meant this or this experience was that, it's a lot more challenging. There have been people who have kept records of a precognitive dream, for example. They dreamed about um, 
a tsunami that happened or a tornado or a car wreck, and then that thing happened, and they looked back in their dream journal and said, yes, I wrote this down on such and such a date. But uh, that kind of research, there's not enough of it to uh, be considered by people who that's what they look for for validation. Well, it's, it's tricky, right? Go ahead, Marilyn, you had a well, question. I was going to say, I used to work in physical therapy before I got into the work I'm in now. And I worked with amputees a lot. And we um, one time had a bilateral leg. Both legs had been amputated above the knee. And this person kept having a dream of running. Mm -hmm. And he said, I woke up. And my whole body felt like I had actually had that workout. And so he continued to purposefully have that dream of running. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing how it affected the rest of the health of the rest of his body. That's fantastic. Isn't it? Yeah. So those are so profound. I'm, I'm hoping that people will open up to the fact that it can be real. Mm -hmm. So I think it's coming soon. I do too. And I've always wondered when that convergence was or how that was going to happen. Because what you brought up was very, I think we all deal with it when we're talking about what we talk about, the energy side of things, because it's unseen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the source of all of the manifested stuff. Yes. So I think... I don't know what it is or how it's going to happen, but I do know that it has to be the awareness of that and operating from that because operating from just looking at the physical, you, it's frustrating to try to share what we're feeling inside with somebody when they say that, or, you know, that kind of shocked me when you told me that they edited a Ted talk or censored a Ted talk. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think that that's what that was about. Yeah. However, it is what it is, but does that make sense? Like, where's the point that we all get that everything's energy and it's all coming from that? Do you, like, what's your thoughts on that? I think, and maybe part of it's my natural tendency for self-reflection, and I'm basically an introvert, is that to me, the inner acknowledgement of something is how I know that something is true. Like, even when I became a student at the School of Metaphysics, I had read a lot of books. I had been to different talks. I had learned um, how to meditate. But more information isn't really what I was looking for. And when I went to the School of Metaphysics, I attended a day seminar there. It was called a Day of Discovery. When I heard the man who founded the school speak, I knew that he knew he, he I knew that he knew what he was talking about. It was coming from him, from his own inner authority. How did I know that? I was 22 years old. I can't really tell you how I knew it. It was an inner sense. And he didn't even finish high school. He went through a lot of his own practice of basically what he wanted to learn was how to turn off his psychic abilities because he would have been born in, I guess, 1920 or something. Anyway, when he was a kid in Springfield, Missouri, having intuitive psychic abilities made him uh, 
people either thought he was crazy or they thought that he was doing the devil's work or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so in him trying to turn it off, he, this of course was long before the internet, he had to go to occult bookstores and he used to tell a story about looking for some particular information. He was in a bookstore and a book literally fell off the shelf and hit him <laughs> on the head and it had what he needed in it. And so he did his own self-guided study, practiced and practiced until he found out things that worked. And then it was other people who were insisting that he put it together in some kind of a program that other people could learn from. And so that self-directed study, this is something that you have to do the exercises every day to get your own experience. It was that degree of inner authority that resonated with me, and that's why I began my own studies. So, what attracted you to, to go that day, or what what drew you to to that? And just a brief like, is the school of metaphysics is that the one in Central Missouri? There, the headquarters is in um, yes, yeah, Southwest that's Missouri. A bit dumb. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. I've been there. And then there are branches. There have been different numbers over the year. There's one in St. Louis. There's three in Chicago, Indianapolis. They're in a few places. What drew me to the school, this is interesting because the person who told me about the School of Metaphysics, I didn't know this at the time, but realized later, she didn't do the exercises. And so when she talked about it, it sounded like one other thing that people talked about. I mean, Ann Arbor, Michigan in the 70s was pretty kind of like as close to the West Coast as you can get in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And um, she told me about past life readings that the school did. And in 1979, people didn't talk about past lives. It's not like now right. where <laughs> you can find books on it in normal bookstores. And I was just curious. I don't know if I had even really thought about it. And so I thought, okay, I'll have one of these readings done. And when I heard it, I absolutely knew that it was true in terms of what it was telling me about myself. And what was really interesting, when I shared it with my friends, they said, well, that doesn't sound like you, because it was talking about some very deep inner stuff, and I was not too much a blabbermouth about my own inner stuff, so they didn't really know what was going on inside of me. And um, that's why I started taking classes, because I knew I needed some help to learn how to put into practice the advice that it was giving me. I love it. Like taking yes. it from the concept to integration. Right, right. I love that. And you knew that you could feel better in the world. You wanted to research what was going on inside of here more through um, through the metaphysicals because it would help you to feel better. Yes. For me at that point in my life, I... Um, I loved the liberal arts education that I got. I took a lot of different classes. I thought somehow by being in college, I would figure out what I was supposed to do with my life, which, of course, after four years with a BA, I had no more idea what I wanted to do with my life. So I was looking for um, how to express myself in a way that would make a difference in the world, not in a big outer way, I just had a very deep sense that there was some kind of calling or something important I was supposed to do with my life. And that was actually the significance of the past life reading. It said that I was not being responsible, 
which is why my friends thought that didn't make sense. I had a job. I didn't have any debts. I mean, physically, I was responsible. And I knew what it meant was I was not being responsible for doing the work I needed to do in the world. So for me, that's what the education helped me to do was to learn how to trust my intuition, to listen to my inner voice, to use dreams as a kind of schooling to say, okay, this is the lesson that you have here. And um, to learn how to concentrate so that I could hold my mind steady instead of having it bounce all over the place with all of the ideas that I had to deepen my meditation practice. So all of that, yes, was to make me feel better and to help me really discover more deeply who am I and why am I here and how can I move through the world? And be authentic mm-hmm. in the world. Perfect. I love that. And at what point in your life did you find that after you started that process? Or are you still looking? You know, it's a gradual process. I would say that I'm always discovering it. Last December, I retired from the School of Metaphysics and I'm now pursuing this actually has been a gradual transition to have all of that be the foundation that I teach from and to um, add to it dimensions of other things that I've learned. So we're doing this podcast here at the Medici Media Space. And one of the things I love about this place is that there are so many different kinds of people. Some are creative, artistic, holistic healers. Then there are people who are uh, wealth advisors, financial planners, marketing, doing things that I haven't really done much of. And so part of what I'm discovering being a member here is how to communicate things that to me seem so obvious and finding out that's not really obvious to other people. You know, that not everybody spends their life asking the question, who am I? I thought everybody asked themselves that question and really, <laughs> you know, made a practice of trying to answer it. So um, I guess the answer to your question, Michael, is I, I can't say it was any one uh, event. There have been definite aha moments. It's always a, a learning and discovery process, I think. Do you think that this is re- so this is on an individual and I love what you said about the inner authority like that really res that key phrase like really <laughs> resonated with me because um, I, I, I use my intuition all of the time mm-hmm. and I've you know meditation everything that you're talking about um, has strengthened me as a as a person to to stay connected to that at the same time I'm physical. You know, when I first right. connected, I was really etherical. Um, like I was Mr. Woo Woo. Like I was all out there, but I couldn't, <laughs> my life wasn't, didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I loved yeah. being, you know, the high of all of that, the connection part, but I'm still physical. Right. And my health took a downturn when I was in that mm. higher vibration. So when I came back into my body about like four or five years ago, and I started to get the importance of how integrating all of it together makes a huge difference in our yes. lives. In mm-hmm. fact, like our last yes. podcast, the whole thing was just our energy systems. We just work with the body mm-hmm. up and down. And in, in doing that, 
that actually changed my life because I learned things from Maryland that I didn't even know about the energy systems body because I'm connected to me, you're connected to you. But my question is, do you believe or feel that that is sort of coming together on the collective level? I think overall, I would say that it is. I don't know that um, it's happening everywhere and with everyone. I think that I'm not at all against electronic devices. I have a computer. I have a cell phone. I do think that it makes it more challenging for especially younger people who've grown up with all of those electronic devices. I think it makes it harder for them to have that kind of integration because, um, you know, even if you think about virtual reality, what that means, what's real? Is this person a friend that I've actually met in the flesh who I've hugged? Is it somebody who's on Facebook that I've communicated with? It doesn't mean, I mean, I met both of you on Facebook. Facebook, And when we met today in person for the first time, it felt like I know you. And so I think that um, it doesn't have to complicate things, but I think it probably does make it more challenging for that integration to happen. Yeah. What I see is that, you know, the technology is important and it it does help. However, putting it back in the dream place, I really, really encourage people to keep their cell phones away from them at night when they're sleeping, all technology away, which is really hard for kids. I remember Mm -hmm. talking to my kids when they were in college. I'm like, please don't sleep with your computer and your cell phone. Right. Get them off the bed at least three, four feet away from your head. It's very minimum. So do you see that making a difference in kids now um, in realizing they have dreams and feeling their dreams and remembering Um, I don't work so much with kids, although I know people who do, and I definitely think it has an influence. There's, through the IASD, the uh, Dream Organization, there's a two-week online conference that's called Cyber Dreaming, the pun being P-S-I-B-E-R, Dreaming. So it's online. It's the pun is that PSI meaning psi has Mm -hmm. to do with the intuition and it's two weeks long. It's not videos. It's all papers. So people, um, read papers. The presenters are there for a discussion thread. People attend from all over the world. And I've been attending this conference also since 2008. And what I find when I'm in that conference is that paying attention to dreams, doing different intuitive um, experiments, like they do dream telepathy, dream remote viewing, uh, mutual dreaming as a part of the conference, Mm -hmm. my dreams and my virtual experiences start to blend together. Like I'll have dreams about seeing the message board. And actually one time when there was a, I think it was a mutual dreaming contest, the person who was the sender And another woman who lives in Finland and I had pretty much the same dream that had to do with 
connecting with each other on this discussion thread. So it was as if our dreams and what was happening electronically, which is in the web, was also influencing our connections with each other. So it's kind of hard for me to imagine what it would be like growing up with cell phones. Yeah. I'm sure that it has an influence. My niece, who's 27, who just graduated with her master's in um, school psychology, she said that motion of using both thumbs to text, that that's actually a self-regulating behavior that helps when kids are out of balance because they're using the opposite digits. Mm. And so which I think is interesting. I can't type with two thumbs. I have to do it with a finger. (laughs) But the kids who do it with two thumbs, it actually helps to balance their brain. I've never thought about that, I don't either. Oh, so it's reciprocal motion or reciprocal activity Mm -hmm. for their brain. Interesting, because, yeah, I'm like you. I'm the index finger (laughs) of my dominant hand. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. I have another story. When you were talking about the mutual dreams and those sort of things, Um, I'm also a shaman, and we went to an advanced training probably about a year ago. There were five of us sitting in a circle, and um, we each had a stone that we worked with that was with a, that, you know, knew our energy, knew our life, Mm -hmm. and we each held it to our third eye and put a question into the stone silently, and then we handed it to the person next to us without telling them Mm -hmm. what the question was. And like I said, there were five of us. And then we put that stone under our pillow and asked for a dream to help them get an answer to their question. And some of us are going, oh, gosh, am I going to remember my dream? And it was amazing. All of us remembered, Mm -hmm. but the dream made absolutely no sense to us. And what I wrote down... I'm like, I know this was my dream, but I have no idea what this means to her. And so I tell her it was something about being at Taco Bell and how much food she ate and what was going on. I don't even remember the details. And we're saying, that's enough. That's enough. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, she knew exactly what that meant to her. It had nothing to do with food, but she it answered her question right. and all of us got the answer to our question and it was just so fun to see how that works and um it was very profound for all of us yeah that what that reminds me of is there's a man named Henry Reed and his colleague um Robert Vandecastle who's since passed away they developed something called the dream helper ceremony that's similar to that except there's one person who has a question or problem, and everybody in the group dreams for that person. And what's interesting is that I think they said 100% of the time, the people who are in the group, even if they don't usually remember dreams, when their intention is to have a dream that's to help the other person, everybody remembers the dream. Yes, that's what happened with us, too. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. that. That's so fascinating. Yeah. But I feel it. Yeah. It's like... I also feel like we're just scratching the surface of the, mm-hmm. the stuff you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But I just getting ready to kind of wrap up for this this particular podcast because this I could go on all day. But like from your perspective, 
in today's world, how can you, or what would you say to somebody? We got the writing down of the dreams. Mm-hmm. And when you said that, my head went, oh, just record that on your phone because it's sitting next to you. So I will take that out, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but most people have their alarms on their phones. So leave it across the room, right? Or get a different kind of alarm. You get a good, yes. different kind of and, alarm. And actually, if somebody can awaken without an alarm, it is much easier mm-hmm. to remember a dream. So at what I do is at the same time, I put my dream notebook by my bed. Sometimes I set an alarm if I know that I have to get up at a certain time. However, I tell myself that I want to wake up and be completely refreshed and alert 15 minutes before I actually have to get up. And I would say at least 85% of the time that works, I wake up without the alarm. So then it's easier to remember the dream and I still have the safety net of the alarm. If you need it. Yeah. Okay. I promise I'm going to get an alarm clock. I promise. (laughs) And I used to do that. I used to do that. I used to tell myself when I was going to wake up, I stopped doing that because I like, well, when you turn 50, I I wake up at five o'clock every day, like Mm -hmm. on the nose, a quarter till sometimes, unless it's something crazy going on and I wake up at three. Mm-hmm. Then I know what that is. That's yes. to sit there because something new's coming in. <laughs> yeah. But the five o'clock, I do always get up at five o'clock, but I do have my alarm set. So mm-hmm. it's like these habits that we're like entrained to do, like right. a robot. Like I've just, the whole time that we've been communicating, I feel so much freer because I can tell my, I can dream. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can dream. Not just the dream that we have for our lives, but like that's a whole other aspect I've sort of shut out. Yeah. Of my life. Mm-hmm. And thank you for giving me permission today. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, but like back to our question about what people can do when they're listening to this. So something, our conversation kind of went around the room today, but something resonated with somebody. Mm-hmm. What's the next thing that they can do? I think maybe the first step is to decide one purpose for remembering dreams. So it might be that you want guidance into a personal question or problem. It might be that you want to be aware that there really is something that exists beyond the physical body and I just want to experience it. I want to experience the peace and expansiveness of what that's like. It could be that somebody remembers when they were a kid having a flying dream, you know, not in an airplane, but just soaring through the air like Superman, and they remember the freedom of it, and they'd like to experience that again. Or they want to be visited by somebody who's died. So whatever purpose someone has, or an inspiration, I received the title to one of my books from a dream, and the visual image of the cover of a book that I wrote on dreams. I didn't do the art, but the artist who did, he received that in a dream. So just deciding one purpose for dreams, there are so many of them. I would pick one to start with as a motivation for remembering the dreams. And this, see where it takes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Because that's a piece I haven't done that way. So You learned um, something too. Yes. Oh, always. And I have so many more questions. But... I do too. Will you come back sometime? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. Because I just, I'm going to start, I'm going to read some of your books. Uh, I want to read some of them off, some of the titles. So you're an author of seven books, correct? 
Yes. So and then I have contributor to some others. So two of those books you have in your hand, I wrote, and then some of the other ones I contributed to. So so you wrote Lucid Dreaming. I wrote a couple Heart. of chapters in there. Okay. Yes. And then Law of Attraction: The Other Secrets of Visualization. Yes, I wrote that one. And then Dreams That Change Our Lives. That I wrote a. Um, I'm called a chapter author. I wove together uh, dreams that people had about visitations and includes some of my writing, too. And one in the Chicken Soup for the Soul series called Dreams and the Unexplainable. I have a story in there, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. and... Intuitive Dreaming. That's yes. a book that I wrote. Yes. Yes. So I'm definitely... I feel really That's called to That's the one I'm getting one. now. <laughs> <laughs> so I really, really super appreciate you being here, taking the time out to have a conversation with us that makes a difference. Our whole podcast is about showing people every conceivable way that we can to live life more consciously. And um, I think we've done that today. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. You appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Our pleasure. Well, we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.